The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. All right, let's take our Bible, if we would, and turn back to Philippians chapter number 2. And while our children are leaving and folks finding their seat, let me remind you, uh, this pumpkin patch here, it's open during the week, but uh, for our members here or folks here today, if you'd like to uh, get one of these pumpkins, there'll be somebody there after service as well today. And uh, so let's um, let's be praying as well uh, for all of this that the Lord would bless here in our community. Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 12 through verse number 18 today. Philippians 2, verse 12 through 18. Would you follow along in your Bible as I read out loud for us this morning? Philippians 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do, or to work of His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast or holding forth the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer that the Lord would bless the reading and proclamation of His Word. Our Father, now we come to You and we thank You for another Lord's Day, the opportunity to be here and have gone to Sunday school and study the Bible and learn more in depth and to have those uh, friendships, Lord. And I pray that You continue to uh, grow those in our life. We thank You for the opportunity to be in here and to sing together, to pray together, to give. And uh, Lord, now to open Your Word and to learn how to be more conformed to the image of Jesus. I give myself to You now in this time. I pray that if there is somebody under the sound of my voice today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Father, that Your Spirit would convict and convince their heart that You would touch them in such a way that uh, they would come to turn from themselves and their sin and to put their full confidence in Jesus and His death upon Calvary, His resurrection, His life eternal. I pray for our brothers and sisters that are a part of this church, Lord, that You would help us to be conformed to Your Son, that we would learn how to be the people that You want us to be. And I pray, Father, for those who are believers and have been visiting this church for some time and have been really considering and thinking about, is this the place that God would have us to lay down roots, that You would solidify that this day. And at the end of this service, they too might join the fellowship here at Emmanuel. 
for Your glory and honor and praise. We bless You now in this time, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. As you can see there in the bulletin, I have kind of titled the service for today, the sermon for today, Are You Sure That You Want to Do What Jesus Would Do? Are you sure that you want to do what Jesus would do? Back in the 1880s, Charles Sheldon, uh, he wrote a book, In His Steps, and a very famous statement along in there, what would Jesus do? He was a pastor in Kentucky and very much way ahead of his time. In fact, he had one of the first churches in Kentucky, in fact, in the entire country, that allowed for multiple ethnic groups to be full members of his church. He made a made a argument for women being involved in politics and welcomed all people to come and to hear the gospel. Very very much tied to that. And so in a series of sermons on Sunday evenings, Charles Sheldon uh, would uh, get up and he would tell a story, you know, about maybe uh, a man who was working a, a job and had some major ethical decision to make. And if he did not make the decision, he might lose his job, lose the uh, financial well-being of his family. And he would leave a cliffhanger at the end of each Sunday night. And he would say, come back next Sunday night to find out what what Jesus would do. They put those sermons in a book form and uh, entitled it In His Steps. It went on to sell millions of copies. In fact, it is one of the most uh, read books in all the world in the top ten best-selling books of all time. Is that incredible? Charles Sheldon uh, was given one week to be the complete editor and chief of one of the major uh, newspapers in Kentucky. They said for an entire week, you can run it however you want. And so for one week, Charles Sheldon ran the newspaper there in Kentucky, and he did it asking the question, how would Jesus or what would Jesus do as the editor-in-chief of a major newspaper? And in one week's time, that newspaper went from 15,000 subscriptions to 350,000 subscriptions. Charles Sheldon, he thought so much about what Jesus would do that he felt like if he, if Jesus were the editor of that paper, Jesus would give credit where credit was due. And so on the very back page of the newspaper at the end of the week, he gave credit to everybody that worked at the newspaper, including the janitors who cleaned the building. In his steps. We bring ourselves to a text like today, and it is tied with exactly where we were last week. Do you remember those verses that are so special, verse 5 through 11 last week? Now we talked about the fact that the Bible says that Jesus humbled Himself and He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What would Jesus do? I'll tell you exactly what Jesus would do according to the text. Jesus would be obedient to His Father. In fact, Jesus said in His time on earth, He said, I do always those things that please My Father. Brothers and sisters and friends that are visiting with us today, all of you that are here, I want you to understand that if you want to ask yourself what would Jesus do, you need to be prepared for the answer, and that is that Jesus would be obedient. And now the question comes out for all of us here today. Are we willing, do we really want to do what Jesus would do if He were living our lives? Because if Jesus were living your life today, He would be obedient to His Father.
Let me draw your attention to three points here in the text today. And here's the main driving thrust of all that I say. And that is that the fruit of Christ's saving work applied to our life always results in a life of obedience. Let me say that again. The fruit of Christ's saving work applied to our life. Jesus dying on the cross, saving our souls, paying the penalty for our sin, and giving us new life. The result of applying that to our own lives and our own hearts is that it always results in a life given over to obedience out of gratitude for what God has done for us. So let me make the first point from verse 12 and verse 13 today. Here it is. We can obey God because God is at work in us. We can obey God because God is at work in us. Look back at verse number 12. He says, so then, or therefore, and this is a connection back with the previous verses, verse 5 down through verse number 11. So then, because Jesus was obedient to His Father... He says, my beloved, and this is the very first time and maybe the last time in this lesson, in this uh, book, but I believe for the first time that he speaks to the Philippian believers and he says, my beloved, those who I love. It is the Greek word agape here. It is my, those whom I love with my heart. So then, beloved. It is not a beat down. It is not that the Apostle Paul is beating us over the head and saying, be obedient or else, but he is saying, because of what Jesus has done, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more, it is an emphatic, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul is writing here, and this is an inclusio. It goes back, it is a bookend to chapter 1 and verse number 27, where he said the same exact thing to these believers. Be obedient whether I'm there or whether I'm not there. Be obedient when there is authority in the room or when nobody is looking. Be the believer that you should be in the dark as well as in the light. And can I just pause for a moment and give us some premature application and say, my dear brother, if you're here today and you are the leader of your family, for the sake of Jesus Christ and the Word of God and your children and your family, be the kind of believer that God wants you to be. Not just when you're in church, not just around the pastor, but when you get in your car and you go home and you're with your family, don't yell at your children at home and come and speak sweet nothings into their ear here. Don't let everybody in this room see you wrap your arms around your wife and say she's the greatest girl in the world and they'll go home and trash her either physically or verbally. Dear sister, do not be the kind of person that comes to this church and speaks great about Jesus and knows every baptistic word to say and plasters a silly smile on your face and then leave and talk bad about people. The Apostle Paul teaches us in this passage, be obedient in the dark as well as in the light. Could we not just maybe summarize the Apostle Paul's words and say, don't be a hypocrite. Notice back at the text. 
The word here, obedience or obey, says, so then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed. This is a compound word, and I told you a few weeks ago, there are many compound words in the book of Philippians. It is from two words, one which means to come under, and the second one is where we get our word for acoustics, the sound of. Come under the sound of. It is this, when God's voice speaks to you from His word, when God's voice gives you what you should do, then we should all come under the voice voice of God. We should all subjugate, we should all humble ourselves under, as the Bible would say, under the mighty hand of God. When the Bible speaks, do you come under the voice of God? Be obey, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And then notice here in verse number 12, most of our translations for to smooth this out say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But actually, the words fear and trembling are fronted in that phrase. It would actually read like this, with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. The Apostle Paul is wanting you to understand that you should work out or you should live for or you should carry to the end your faith in Christ under the fear and trembling or awe and reverence and respect and sensitivity to the Lord of heaven. We should be in fear and trembling of the Lord. Now notice here, folks, I know that some of you in here, maybe you grew up in a situation where you had a fearful condition of a father, but that's not the kind of fear we're speaking about here. This is a fear of respect and awe. It is when you're in the presence of greatness and you, uh, you, you walk into that presence and you realize how glorious and wonderful and good and how almighty God is that He made all of the, all of the galaxies. Did y'all see that report out there this week that there are more than 30,000 galaxies that we can see? And God made every one of them. How is it that we are to live our Christian life? We are to live it with a reverence and an awe for the King of glory. And then notice here it says that you're to work out your own salvation. Now this is, uh, let me give you a little help for this. Notice in this text, it doesn't say work for your salvation. Do you see that? It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. Why? For the next phrase. For it is God who is in you to uh, working both to will and to do of His own good pleasure. And the working out here is not so much like a, you know, I know y'all like this physique, right? The chiseled physique. It is not talking about like working out this way, lifting the barbells and, and you know, bench pressing. It's simply a calculation term. It means if you're a Christian, this is the way that your life will fall out. Carry it to its logical conclusion. Work out, live for, give all that you have to living for Jesus Christ. And then notice here, here's how the pressure is off. We can obey God. We can work work out our salvation. Why? For it is God who is at work in us. Look back at verse number 13. For it is God who is at work. And the work here is this energizing. It's uh, where we would uh, talk about the energizer bunny. It is as if God is putting the power to do His good will and work in you. You don't ever have to earn your own salvation. You don't have to ever earn the merit of God. God is the one energizing you and helping you and providing for you the ability to obey Him. Isn't that marvelous today? There's not a believer in this room that has to earn the merit of God. 
We have already been made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is because God is at work in me that we can live, leave here today and live for Jesus. You don't have to keep doing the same sins you've always done. You don't have to keep watching the same things that you've always watched. You don't have to be in chains and bondage spiritually and physically to the sins that you keep committing. Why? Because Jesus has freed us from all of those things. He is the one at work in us. Sometimes we preach messages about what we should do. But I, I want all of you in here this morning to understand that you can be obedient as a believer to the Lord. Because God is the one working in you for His own good will and pleasure. Amen? God is working in us. Make sure that in your life you're being obedient and that you're serving Jesus and living for Him whether anybody is ever watching or not. Remember years ago, I was taking an ethics class at the seminary, and uh, the guy that was teaching, I think it was the first or second class I was taking, and he said, now, let me talk to you about an ethical issue that all of you struggle with. That is driving the speed limit. That was the worst class I ever took. <laughs> Every time I would get in the, I think it got bad. Every time I got in the car after that class to drive, I would be like, you know, as soon as it would go over to like 56, 57, I'd be like, ah, oh, I'm sinning against Jesus by doing that. I break. And then it just got ridiculous. And so I would get in the car and intentionally not look at the speedometer. Because, of course, if I'm not looking at it, how can I be guilty of the sin, right? <laughs> I read this story this last week about uh, a judge who had, uh, he was trying a case. He had these two attorneys that came to him in his chambers and uh, one attorney slipped him a $10,000 check to bend the uh, decision in his way and the second attorney came in after that and slipped the judge a $15,000 check to bend the decision in his way. And so the judge being all moral and upstanding, he said, you know what? I'm going to write that second attorney a $5,000 check back and we'll just try this case on the morals of its own. <laughs> For those of you that didn't get any catch up to you tomorrow, all right? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, hey, let me just take a little aside for a second. I, I, we're friends and we're family. Can we, will you come in with me together in your mind? I don't want you to leave out of here today and say, Pastor Steve, just beat us over the head. Be obedient or die, all right? What I want you to understand is you can. And look, I'm not Tony Robbins. I'm not some sort of like, you know, rah, rah, ray, you know, burn the boats and, and give you all a bunch of self-esteem. Okay, that's part of the problem. We got too much self-esteem. We need to be lowly sinners that cry out for the grace of Jesus. But I do want you to leave here today saying, yes, because what God is doing inside of me and has done through Jesus Christ, I can defeat the sin that I'm struggling with because the Spirit of God will enable me and empower me, and Jesus will get all the glory, and He will help me. Will you just preach that to yourself? Some of you are struggling with sins, and it might be a battle for you. Okay, Not all of them are taken away like that. Some of them are, and we thank God for that. But every believer in this room has one or two you know, hangers on. <laughs> and some of you might have five or ten. 
But I want you to know that you can defeat that. The Spirit of God will defeat it in you. Why? Work out. Carry your, carry the work of Jesus to its logical conclusion. Work out your salvation. Why? For God is the one that is working in you both to will and to do of His own good pleasure. Let me give you a couple of ways that you could do that. First of all, here's, here's an application. Just do the next right thing. Leave here today. Many of you have heard me say that before. Just leave here today. If you go out to eat, you want to know what the next right thing is to do? Tip the waitress or the waiter correctly. I used to work in the restaurant industry, and everybody hates believers at the restaurant. You know why? Because we're cheapskates. If you leave here today and you go to a restaurant, if you don't have the money to leave a good tip, then don't go. Eat at home. But the right thing to do is to tip well. The right thing to do is to leave here and love your spouse, love your children, love your relationships. The right thing to do is to bring your children to whatever. Whether it's choir, whether it's our youth, whether it's your children's program, for heaven's sakes, we're trying to teach and train the children here so that when they grow up, they love Jesus and not the world. Amen? Amen. The next right thing to do is to wake up tomorrow morning at least three minutes early, open up to the book of Psalms and with, you know, eye boogers pulling them out of your eye, read a verse of scripture and say, Jesus, help me today. Talk, I talked with people just this week who are struggling and having problems. Listen, are you, do you read the Bible at all? No. Well, things aren't going well while you're not reading it. Why wouldn't you just give it a chance? (laughs) Maybe it would help. The next right thing to do is to go to work and put in an honest day's work. Do right. You work for somebody, you'll give them an honest day's work. Amen, that's right. (laughs) Just do the next right thing. I would say another one would be obedient when authority is around and you'll become the kind of person who will be obedient when authority's not around. Okay? Be the kind of person that's obedient when authority's around and it will train you to be the kind of person who's obedient when it's not around. Number three, let the fear and reverence and awe of God drive your obedience. I was speaking with some folks the other day. We were talking about sin issues, and they got it. For, for a moment, they got it, and, and, and the Lord blessed. And I said, now look, why, why, why is that wrong? Why do you not want to do that? And they said, well, it would hurt my family, or man, I would be embarrassed, and this and that. And, I, and we got to a point where I said, yes, all of those things are true and right and correct. That would be wrong. But I said, what it is, is the reason why we don't want to sin must begin not outwardly to other people, nor inwardly of what it means to us, but because our sin is offensive to the God of heaven. Amen? Start there. Number four, remember that God is at work energizing you to obey. You're not alone. You're not alone as a believer. He is in you to do this. And if you're in this room today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't don't want any of you to leave here today. Maybe you're visiting with us or maybe you've been here for a while. I want you to understand today that Jesus Christ is God's Son and He came into this world as a perfect living sacrifice. Both God and man in one body, unmixed. He lived a perfect sinless life. He went to a cross. He died there in shame and agony and all of your sin 
sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt and everything in your life that is no good, Jesus took into Himself on that cross. He died for you. Three days later, He rose bodily, physically, and spiritually out of the grave and He is alive and well at this very moment. And to any person in this room or in this city or in this room or in the world who will humbly call upon Jesus Christ and believe on Him, He'll give new life to you. He'll wash all of your sins away and all of your guilt away and all of your shame away. Jesus will save you and change you from the inside out. That's the good news of the Gospel. And He will enable you to do what you've never been able to do before. And that is please God with your life. Let me give you a second point this morning from verse 14 to 16. Our obedience affects our testimony in the present and our standing in the future. Our obedience affects our testimony in the present and our standing in the in, in the future. Verse 14 to 16, um, I think it might be this in a way in, in our English text, but this is actually just one sentence. And that's important for you to know that 14 to 16 is one sentence because it is driving at one overall theme here. Notice what he says. I'll walk down through these verses. He says, do all things, right? Or maybe our subversions might say, do some things, do a few things, do what you want to. Or does your version say, do all things? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. The word grumbling here is a onomatopoeia. It is a, it's a, it's a word tool and uh, it, it, the meaning of the word is the same way in which it's pronounced. And so if you were to pronounce this word, it comes out something like this. That's the way. That's the Greek version, okay? I'm just giving it to you. <laughs> Do all things without complaining, without murmuring, without grumbling. And then the next word is disputes, right? The word here is the word, the same word for plot. It is a reasoned term. It is a logical term. Hey, don't complain and don't plot. Don't plot with other people. And don't sit alone in your own thoughts and plot. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. You know why? Now, I was kind of meditating and thinking about this earlier this week. The Lord kind of helped me. You've got to always try and say, now why does that verse come after that one? What does the previous verse say? That God is in us. He is working in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure, not ours. And so therefore, brothers and sisters, if God is really at work in your life for His pleasure, and then you begin to complain and murmur and plot against what God is doing, then you are in essence saying God doesn't know what He's doing with your life. When I complain, when I murmur, when I plot, when I think in my mind that I have the better way, I am not dealing in the truth that God is working things out in my life for His good pleasure. Look back down at the verse. So that, here's the reason for, so that you will prove the word here for prove is the same word we would get in Greek for Genesis, like the first book of your Bible. It means the beginning or a birth, so that you would be uh, a genesis to end, or you would be birthed in, or you would prove yourselves to be blameless. 
And innocent, the word there for innocent means simple-minded. Yes, God wants you to be a bit simple-minded when it comes to sin. All right, So you be blameless and innocent or simple children of God above reproach. And where does God want you to do that? In the middle of a crooked, and the word here is scoliosis, it is the curvature of the spine, in a twisted and a perverted generation. We are to be the generation of believers who are blameless and above reproach because our, we are not grumbling and complaining, but we are living for the good pleasure of Jesus, and we are to do that in the middle of a perverse and a crooked generation. Is this not as up-to-date as the ticks on a clock, brothers and sisters? The world around us is crooked and perverse, and God has not called us to live in a monastery, but He's called us to live in the middle of all of that to the glory of Jesus Christ. And then look what He says here. Among whom you appear as luminaries, lights, or stars in the dark sky in the in the world. And then verse 16, and some of you have holding fast, some of you have holding forth. The connot both connotations are found here that we are holding tightly to the very words of life, the gospel of Jesus, and that we are holding out the gospel to the unbelieving world. That's what we're supposed to do. This week, did you take time to live and hold on to the gospel of Jesus that has saved you? And did you share the gospel with anybody this week? Did you make any advancement this week for the kingdom of God? Share a card, invite somebody to church, share the gospel. Whatever it is, are you seeking to hold out the word of life? so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Our obedience affects our testimony in the present and our standing in the future. But simply put, when we obey Christ, we stand in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation and we affect them now by the way that we live and the way that we give the Gospel. And when we obey Christ, one day when He comes, we will prove that we are truly the children of God. What, were you, what will your life prove when Jesus comes again? I'm not here to scare you. I hated that when I was a kid and a teenager, right? And uh, some guy would get up and he'd preach. I'd already been saved and he'd preach hell so hot I felt like I needed to get saved again. I was always, I'm not trying to do that to you. I'm not trying to scare you. But I do want to be honest with you. And I'll say, if your life, over the span of your life, somewhere along the line, if there isn't something in your heart that produces a fruit of obedience and wanting to follow Jesus... You're not, you might not be a child of God. No matter what you've said or whose water you've been dunked in or what you've done. Our obedience testifies to the world around us and it holds fast and it holds out the Gospel. But our obedience goes to show that when the Apostle Paul at the end of time says, what about Emmanuel Baptist Church and the believers there? Your obedience to Christ says, yes, we truly believed upon the Son of God. And our obedience shows that we have faith. Isn't that what James says? Show me your works and I'll show you your faith. <laughs> Holding out 
the word of life. I uh, went into, uh, give me just a minute here, went into Jamie's office earlier this week, and uh, I, pre- you know, I preach a lot of sermons, and uh, sometimes I use illustrations. I try not to use the same ones on you, so I walked into Jamie's office, and I, had, I said, hey, Jamie, have I ever told the people about the time that I was camping, and I got sick and vomited out a bunch of Vienna sausages, and then we had to make homemade torches? And the look on his face told me that I probably had not said that illustration. <laughs> and if I had, then I probably hadn't said it in a while. Either that or he just hadn't had lunch yet. Um, but uh, years ago, I went camping with my dad and my brother. And we got in the middle. When you camped with my dad, it was never planned. You know what I mean? Like my dad would just say, hey, grab those two wool blankets and, uh, you know, a pack of matches. Let's go camping. And my dad had these, y'all ever eaten Vienna sausages? That little can, let me tell you something. I will never eat another Vienna sausage in my life. <laughs> Baby, I love you, but if a gun's to my head, it, you know what I mean? I'll see you in glory. That's all I'm saying. I'm not eating Vienna sausage. We got out there in the middle of the night. We're, I mean, we're way off the track on the Peace River. And my dad pops open one of those Vienna sausages and gives them to me. And I ate a few, and man, I, up it came. Y'all ready for lunch, aren't you? <laughs> In the middle of the night, we get ready to go back, and, and, and so all we had like a pack of matches, so we grabbed a bunch of these uh, dead palm ferns and uh, put them together and lit them on fire. And so we had a whole bunch of them, and my dad was leading the way. He had the torch, and we were following behind a pitch black out there by the Peace River, and we were going to walk the we're going to walk the riverbank line back to the car. And so every time the torch would start to go out, my brother would hand him another one, and I was I was following up, handing them where I could. And so we're just marching onto the car. We get about halfway there, shoo! My dad dropped right off the bank. <laughs> I'll tell you some other time how that story ends. But <laughs> what I what I want you to know is <laughs> chasing rabbits. What I want you to know is the world that we live in is really dark, and our obedience counts. Our obedience to the Lord counts. Now we hold fast as lights in a dark world to Jesus. And uh, brothers and sisters, I shared with you a few weeks ago, I'm trying to get better. I really am. I, I, I want, I'm praying every week, Lord, help my heart. Help me to be convicted. I, 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 want, I want to get to the end of my life, and I, I want to look back and say, I, I, I shared the gospel a few times with some people. I know you've got lives to live and families and work and all of that, and I don't expect you to live here uh, week in and week out, but what the Lord expects for you is somewhere down the line, you're His people, and the world around you is lost. Just take that step and share the Gospel. There are lost people who will listen. A lot of them won't, but there are lost people who will listen. Be obedient. It'll affect your present testimony. It'll affect the future standing with the Lord. Let me give you this last point we'll finish for today. When we obey the Lord, we generously serve each other. Look at verse 17 and 18. When we obey the Lord, we generously serve each other. But even if... The Apostle says, but even if I am being poured out... This is an Old Testament sacrificial term where they would pour out the drink offering before the Lord. And I don't have time to take you through all of this today, but I would say it goes along with what he's saying in verse number 16. The term run and then the term to toil. All of this is speaking about exhaustion, giving everything that he has. I run, I give all of that, I toil, I fight, I pour all of my life. And then in verse culmination, in verse number 18, he gets to 
to the sacrifice. I pour everything that I have. I pour my life out. And then what's he say there? As a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service or sacrificial service of your faith. And I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And then he gives them an imperative command in verse 18. You too, just like me, how I'm running, how I'm toiling, how I'm pouring my life out and finding joy in it. In that same way, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. When we obey the Lord, we generously serve each other. I was reading this story this week and it reminded me of folks here that we know and every church has them. I was reading this story about a guy, his name was Eric uh, Gerstead and a big church in Atlanta and uh, they had a big Christmas pageant every year, livestock, live animals, all this kind of stuff. And uh, this fella is a very uh, high-ranking attorney, has lots of money, made well for himself in life. He's a part of this church and uh, the guy's telling the story. He said one of the nights of the pageant, he um, he walked out back where all of they were keeping all these animals, and it just, I mean, it stunk out there, it was all these kind of things. Walks out there, and he sees this guy, Eric, and he's got these big rubber boots on, and he's just spraying down feces from the wall and cleaning out these little stable areas. He says, man, what are, what are you doing? And the guy says back to him, well, God didn't call me to sing or give me the ability to play an instrument in the pageant. But this I can do. And what about you? When you obey the Lord, you serve each other. When you love Jesus and walk with Him, you serve each other. What are you doing here? What are you involved in? What are you doing for each other? Our obedience counts. And our obedience serves each other. And it's not selfish. And it looks like Jesus. What would Jesus do? Not seek the glory, but He'd seek to serve each other. I told you about Charles Sheldon. Let me close by telling you the end of that story. By a freak accident... In his steps, when it was published, over a two-month span was accidentally put into public domain. Tens of millions of dollars have been made through the book, In His Steps. And the phrase, what would Jesus do? And Charles Sheldon received a check for $10,000. And much like his personality... He just said, to God be the glory. May it help the people of God. What would Jesus do? And are you willing and ready to actually do what Jesus would do and be obedient to the Lord? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.